0: Welcome to Madison City Channel's Know Your Candidates Interviews, co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I'm Michael Rosenberg, and I am interviewing Mark Pocan, the Democratic candidate and incumbent for Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District in the November 8th general election. Each candidate for this office will be asked a set of questions prepared by League members to discuss at their interview. So I'll begin with the first question. What is your professional, educational, and civic background that qualifies you for the United States House of Representatives and why are you running?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Michael, and thank you for uh, having this forum again for people to get a chance uh, to to hear from the candidates uh, running for office. We really appreciate this opportunity uh, every election cycle. Um, This is now my second term uh, serving the people of the 2nd Congressional District. Uh, I've had that great pleasure um, to serve the people of Dane County, uh, Green County, Sauk County, Iowa County, Lafayette County, parts of Rock County and parts of Richland County uh, for the last four years. Prior to that, I served 14 years in the state legislature here in Wisconsin, and prior to that, I served on the Dean County Board of Supervisors. So I've served in local, state, and federal government. Uh, in Congress, I serve on the Education and Workforce Committee, which includes everything from pre-K to K-12, to 12, to higher education, as well as labor and uh, job training issues. And I also serve on the Budget Committee, which uh, technically uh, puts together the budget. Uh, we have a separate appropriations process, but the budget for the federal government And uh, I truly uh, appreciate uh, and am honored uh, to represent the 2nd Congressional District in Congress. Uh, Congress has had a lot of issues uh, lately. It's been tough to get things through Congress, but uh, we've had some successes. And uh, where most of our successes have really occurred is in helping constituents. Uh, They reach out to our office. We've been able to navigate through federal agencies, and that's what makes the job uh, really rewarding. So um, that's some of my background, and I look forward to your questions.
0: While the economy has made great strides, according to economic indicators such as the unemployment rate and middle-class income growth, most Americans don't seem to feel economically secure. What do you believe are steps Congress needs to take to give the citizens a greater sense of economic security?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think while the economy has largely come back in many ways from 2008, the stock market certainly has come up, uh, productivity has come up. Corporate profits have gone up. Uh, one of the few things that's uh, not, and it's been very flat, is wages for the average person. And that's what I think people are feeling the most, that they're not sharing in the gain. and top 1% or 2% are benefiting and it hasn't been spread out uh, as evenly as it should be. So there's a number of things. One, we should raise the minimum wage. I'm uh, on proposals to raise it to $15 um, over a series of years. But to put something in that uh, is more meaningful than seven, you know, and a quarter, $7.35 an hour, uh, depending where you're in the country, $15,000 a year you simply can't live on. And uh, we need to do that. I think we need to do uh, more to help people form unions. I think uh, you know we're at one of our best periods. Uh, in the country where we had the least income inequality and some of the greatest prosperities when you had some of the greatest ability for workers to have their voices collectively heard in the workplaces, uh, we need to do more of that. I think we need to do things that, uh, invest in our infrastructure right now. You know, Wisconsin under Scott Walker has got the fourth worst roads in the nation. Uh, We've divested in our schools. Uh, Those are things that we should put money back into now, because not only do they create good-paying family-supporting wages right now, but they invest back in our infrastructure that will serve us for decades to come. Uh, Just on bridges alone, I think it's 40% of the bridges in this country are old enough to be eligible for Medicare. Uh, That's a a concern, and I think those are some of the things, uh, among others, that we can do to try to help uh, make it so that everyone uh, is sharing in the prosperity uh, from the economy coming back.
0: Next question. Congress will be working with a new president and administration when it returns after the election. How do you believe this will generally affect your work as a House of Representative, if elected? How do you believe the election of each major party candidate, Trump or Clinton, will affect your work?
1: Sure. You know, I, I never realized uh, until I got to Congress just how much power there is in that executive branch. Even though we're co-equal branches of government, when Congress doesn't function, like it hasn't really since 2010 very well, um, there's a lot a president can do. We all know about uh, Supreme Court appointments, and clearly those are very, very important for the third uh, branch of government. But also uh, there's two other areas that are worth mentioning. One are executive orders with a single stroke of a pen. A pen the president can uh, do things that aren't permanent but certainly make it hard to remove uh, things like we've asked for in, in this last Congress, the previous Congress, uh, to raise minimum wage for federal contractors and their subcontractors, which the president did, and to provide for non-discrimination in employment for gay and lesbian employees and transgender employees. Which he did. And when he does a stroke of the pen or she does a stroke of the pen, uh, that's 22 to 24% of the economy in the country. So it's still very, very powerful. Sometimes it still needs to be put in place in statute, which is where Congress comes in, but they certainly have a lot of power. And the third area is agency rules. And just being in the Education and Workforce Committee, the Department of Labor uh, did a number of rules around overtime pay and, and other issues that help, I think, working Americans. Uh, those happen under the jurisdiction of a secretary that's appointed by the president. So there's a lot of power in that White House that so affects me quite a bit as a member of Congress and have that relationship to be able to, to work off of. I think if uh, Secretary Clinton uh, is elected, which I uh, am assuming is going to happen, and I guess I'm hoping is going to happen, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be able to have a good relationship. Uh, having served as long as she did in the U.S. Senate, having been a secretary of state, uh, there's a good understanding of how the... The various branches work together. Um, if it's Donald Trump, it'll be more interesting. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it'll be more challenging. Um, but, you know, it's a challenging period in Congress with the Tea Party. So uh, I think if you throw in one more sideshow to the circus, um, certainly it may be more colorful for people on news networks, but uh, a little more painful for those of us who are trying to get something done.
0: Cyber attacks of U.S. government or organization computer systems are an ever-increasing threat. What actions do you believe Congress needs to take in response to these attacks?
1: Sure. I, you know, I think one of the things we're finding, and we go through lots of briefings, classified and non-classified, on, on issues like this, is uh, there are there's a great ability for countries and rogue individuals to uh, do cyber attacks, uh, not just taking you know, information from your email or your credit card information, which can you know, cause people lots and lots of hours uh, to try to fix and identity theft and other areas, but you know on our state secrets and on other things. So it's a real um, big concern, and I think uh, what we haven't really been able to do that we need to do is invest a little more uh, dollars in being able to provide a stronger infrastructure to make sure that we're able to do what we can to block those things, but also you know, some of this is... From nations. I mean, if, if uh, Russia or China or Iran is doing this, um, I think we have to make that a very serious part of our conversations because that's completely unacceptable, I think, by how uh, countries have to work together. Um, and I, what I don't want to do, though, is there's a slippery slope where uh, some people want to just make it so that we can gather information about individuals and use cyber security. And I think there's a balance between privacy and security that I am concerned about. So even though maybe it's not addressed. Uh, exactly addressing the attacks we get from the outside, we very quickly get to these other issues and whether or not we're monitoring our own citizens' calls and emails. And I think there's a balance that we have to have.
0: Racial tensions, especially in terms of police-community relations and policing the criminal justice system in general, are definitely in the forefront of issues that seem to be long overdue for addressing in this country. Do you believe Congress has a role to play? And if so, what do you believe it should be doing?
1: Yeah, this is one where maybe I'm uh, being too much of a silver lining guy, but I actually think you can get through a Congress even one as dysfunctional as we've had for the last three sessions. Um, because I think there are Democrats and Republicans who publicly made statements on a couple levels. One is overall um, criminal justice reform. Uh, I think people understand, including from the, the conservative movement, um, people like Grover Norquist um, have uh, started groups called Be, um, on, on Smart Right on Crime because they want to try to save dollars, putting so much into incarceration and other things. And they can work directly with those of us who are looking at it from a policy perspective, how we need to take care of it. So there are a number of bills in Congress with bipartisan sponsorship that you think would be easy to get done, and it would be if we had a function in Congress. Um, but I still think that there is promise that we can do to try to reform the system to make it so that it works for everyone and doesn't... Uh, right now, it does operate in uh, what definitely uh, is a more discriminatory fashion. Certain people are more likely to be incarcerated and be arrested for crimes than others, and we need to address that. Um, but secondly, I think you know, we really have to do things like collect data. Uh, when people go around and people are being pulled over, just because you have a color of skin that's different uh, than maybe the police officer, you shouldn't. Um, have to risk being pulled over in certain parts of the country. This is far more prevalent than other parts of the country. But, uh, you know, driving while black is how it's referred to and you can get pulled over. Um, I've talked to people in Milwaukee uh, that third generation Wisconsinites and they still get pulled over in case they're not really a citizen because their last name is Gonzalez and they may look uh, like they're of of, uh, Latino descent. Those are the sort of things that, that kind of profiling too that we have to address. So criminal justice reform, I think addressing some of that And, um, you know, hopefully uh, community policing concepts where you work within the community are always going to be better. And uh, not just more police on the ground, but I think being smarter about how we're doing some of the policing, working with communities, a number of things can happen. But that's going to require federal, state, and local cooperation.
0: Thank you. What other issues through committee work and legislation introduction do you wish to make a priority for yourself if you are elected and why?
1: Sure. You know, most of the work you do generally is around your community's jurisdiction, and um, education workforce is one that's probably one of the most active. Uh, so a, a few of the areas I think I'd highlight, one is just around... Um uh, higher education affordability. Uh, we uh, were, we put out the first bill based on an idea that came out of Wisconsin on refinancing student loans. We did that back in 2013. And now um, Senator Warren has a bill like that, Senator Gillibrand from New York and others. So there's a lot of interest around trying to make it so that uh, people who have interest rates of 6.6% might be able to refinance, which you can't currently do, like you might your home or your car with your student loans. But also, let's figure out how you don't get there first, that you have to have that student loan, graduating at $20,000 or, or 29000 leaving the UW with a four-year degree. Student debts quadrupled in the last 11 years, and we've got to deal with that too. So there's an interesting proposal with a group called Demos out of Washington that uh, Representative Keith Ellison from Minnesota and I have introduced that specifically, um, and, and something very similar what Secretary Clinton's talked about, which is called a debt-free college proposal. The idea is if a state Like most states, and of course, Wisconsin's not like most. We're one of the handful that's still disinvesting in our state university system. But as long as you keep up that maintenance of effort, there's some extra financial aid that can go to things like work-study. And the goal of the program, the way I think it would work, is you could probably do a work-study job for 10 or 15 hours a week and leave a four-year public university with no debt whatsoever. And I think that would be something worth investing. It doesn't cost as much as you think, because it does involve financial aid and work study, and that helps offset costs for the university. I think that's the type of proposal. Secretary Clinton's got one to make tuition covered. We go a little farther in our proposal that also covers your other expenses as students, so you can leave and not have that debt as a burden when you graduate and trying to find a job. Those are some of the areas I work on. I've also passed two bills around financial aid, even in this dysfunctional Congress, Uh, one to extend the Perkins program for another two years that was going to expire last September 30th. That's one of the financial aid programs. And the other is something incredibly wonky but important called prior-prior FAFSA, say that three times fast. Um, what that is, is the FAFSA application is what you fill out um, you know, for financial aid when you're, you're going to college. Uh, the problem is you um, may get acceptance letters in February or March from a college, but you have to use that year's tax return. You have to wait two months to see if you can actually accept to go what your financial aid package will be. This allows you to use your prior years. So some of it is just bipartisan, working through common sense stuff. We get some of that done, not enough. Um, but we do a lot around higher education, and then also around labor issues and apprenticeships. We have a bill out there that really um, in Germany it's about ten times per capita use of apprenticeships, not just in the traditional um, construction model, but in healthcare, IT, and other areas. I think that's something we could expand on soon. I could I don't want to take a lot of time on this one question because I know I'm supposed to be limited on each one, but I could talk about a lot of things under that community jurisdiction I really enjoy working on.
0: Finally, what would you like to say to the viewing audience as we complete this interview? Sure. You know, first of all,
1: I, you know, truly appreciate um, the support I've had uh, in being able to serve in Congress and represent the people of south central Wisconsin. Um, You know, I have been very honest. I think part of my job is to come back and tell what's going on in Washington and listen to people and take that back to Washington. And Washington is clearly dysfunctional. Um, You know, the way the process is right now, the tail wag, the dog, 10% of Congress have veto power over the rest of Congress. That's the Tea Party, the Freedom Caucus. Uh, So they're self-proclaimed Freedom Caucus. And because of that, we don't get our budget bills done. We don't get the appropriations process done. We don't get a lot of things done that really need to happen. Uh, We have a few successes, but they're far, far too few. And I think we've got to figure out how to break that. And, um, you know, part of it is redistricting reform. You know, there's only 70 competitive Uh, congressional districts out of 435 in the country. So when you have that, that causes all kinds of dysfunction. We need to address issues like that. But we also need to have people like Speaker Paul Ryan stand up to that uh, caucus and say, no, I'm not going to let you have veto power, which they do through an informal rule uh, called the Hastert Rule, which is named after former Speaker Denny Hastert, who's now uh, in prison. Uh, We've taken his portrait off the wall, but they still live by the rule that says you have to have 218 people in their caucus support something to put it on the floor. That single rule change would make us at least 50% more functional, if not more. So there's some things we can do, and I think we gotta work towards that, but I'm gonna keep working in a bipartisan way to try to get things done. Um, that's where I've had some successes, the few successes that we've had in Congress. Um, but I think where more of our work happens is working with constituents, uh, making sure that we're helping navigate through federal agencies. Um, that's truly the most rewarding part of the job, especially these days with so few legislative successes. And then also I still have advocacy. I can still talk about things that are important. in, in areas like uh, South Central Wisconsin, a lot of agricultural issues are very very important Uh, a lot of issues around higher education are extremely important and uh, we have a very um outspoken and active uh, electorate here we try to make sure that we're engaging uh, throughout uh, all the counties in my district doing that Uh, i'm going to keep doing that uh, if i'm re-elected and i would really love uh, to be reelected and serve the people of the 2nd Congressional District for another two years. And again, thank you so much for this forum. And we're always available. Um, You can contact our office uh, here in Madison. That's where we do most of our casework. Uh, We just want to make sure we're doing everything we can for the people who live in the district.
0: I want to thank Mark Pocan for speaking with us and the viewing audience for taking the time to know your candidates. Please remember to vote in the November 8th general election. On behalf of Madison City Channel, and the League of Women Voters of Dane County, I thank you for joining us. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much yeah, and good luck.